great to be here this morning with you all and it's always great to share um, at this church which of course has for decades been so involved uh, in global mission and partnering in global mission and always uh, dedicated to having a mission month. And, uh, but before I start sharing from God's word, uh, let's uh, pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for today. We thank you that we can gather together. We are in a country where we are free to do so, uh, to sing to you, to hear your word. And Lord, we just pray that now uh, that we, our hearts and minds will be attended to your word, that you'll put out of our uh, minds anything that distracts us and we'll be hearing from you so as to learn to follow you more and trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you've heard, of course, this morning and in previous weeks, the theme this year is Expect the Unexpected. And one of the unexpected uh, experiences that many cross-cultural missionaries have when they return to Australia is in the supermarket. Because in the supermarket, you see, you have all these things you can buy that you can consume. And I remember in 1996, when we first went to Cambodia, an uh, older, more experienced missionary told me about one experience of hers when she returned to Australia on a home assignment. And she said she was in the supermarket, she had a trolley, where it had some uh, shopping in it, and she was just so overwhelmed with all these different things to consume and choose from all these different products. And there was a smorgasbord of so many products for just this one thing that she was just overwhelmed and just walked out of the supermarket and left the trolley there and didn't buy anything. And she told me she'd known other missionaries had done that as well. And I remember thinking, wow, that's a bit extreme. Okay, I can understand it's a bit of an issue. I can understand it's, it might be a bit hard. But I don't think I'd just walk out of the, walk out of the shop without buying anything. That, I couldn't do that. Well, guess what? I've done that. I've come back on home assignments and been in shops and then looking at, knew I wanted to get something and thought, I do not have anywhere near enough information to make a right decision and just walked out without buying anything. You see, we live in a consumer culture. We have so much choice, so much we can choose from. Uh, cars is one thing that we uh, consume. And if you like luxury cars, you might like to go for that car up on the top left. Or, or maybe you're not really a, a luxury car kind of person. You think that's a bit more for like, you know, la da people. Maybe you like the off-road. You really like the off-road look. Uh, maybe you really actually like to go off-road or you just like to look like you do. In which case, you might look like you might want a Jeep. Uh, you might be someone who's really into sporty cars and fancy futuristic cars, in which case you might go for that car up on the top right, but I've never seen a car like that in Sydney, at least anyway. Or maybe you're like most people who are just as practical and you just want a good, reliable car to get you from A to B, so you go for a car like the, the bottom left there. Another thing that we, that we buy, and a big one, of course, it's in the, you know, it's in the news even, is homes. That's the, probably the biggest purchase of our life. You might, you might be someone who gets this really big mansion, or then you've got the, the typical middle-of-the-road homes, and even there you've got a choice. You might decide to go for an older Federation-style home, an older home like the bottom right there, or maybe you like you know, the more modern homes. But if you're like a lot of people around the world, well, you know, that's far beyond your reach. You might just uh, only be able to afford more of a bit like a shack like we have there in the bottom left. And there's so many more things that we could buy. Now, nothing epitomises nothing epitomizes our consumer culture probably more than advertising. Advertising keeps on wanting us to get their product, buy their product. Advertising tells us we have all these needs we didn't even realise we had, all these wants that we never had before, and keep on telling us, here, you need this, you want this. And in some ways this is all okay. God put us in a physical world. He gives us physical bodies. We have needs and we can enjoy his creation. So in some ways there's nothing wrong with that. But an issue, the issue is, uh, as one uh, person puts it, uh, when we turn a good thing into a God thing. And we often do that. But another issue is this whole consumer mentality. 
You see, as a consumer, you can pick and choose. You have all these different products. You can just decide, you're up, it's your right. I can just decide, I like that one, I don't like that one. I can get that one, I don't have to get that one. What car you like, what house you like, what food you like, etc. So what does all this have to do with the topic today of discipleship and mission? Well, we're going to see that more and more as we consider what the Bible has to say to us today. But just before we get to that, you all know that uh, we have a, quite a number of young families in our congregation now, which is great. And uh, you know we've been through that stage. And one of the most interesting periods in a child's development is that uh, whole why stage, you know, where they are learning about the world and they're curious about the world, so they ask a lot of uh, why questions. So you know you you can't just make a simple statement. You can just like see that junior, that's called a cow. Why? Well, because it just is. Why? Because the word cat was taken. Why? And they can keep on coming back with lots of why questions. But sometimes they can ask really good why questions and questions that make us realise how little we know and stop and think about something. And the question may be an obvious question that we didn't think about too deeply. Having been a missionary for a long time, we'd come back for home assignments and sometimes in deputation or home assignment, I would, I would go in different groups, I'd ask that why question. I'd ask the why question, why do we do mission? Cross-cultural mission, going overseas, and that is, that's a very costly exercise, so why do it? And I was informed that one of the purposes of uh, Mission Month is to inform us as to why, why we do mission. So I thought I might start there first in looking at that why, why do we do mission? <clears throat> and uh, when I asked people, what was interesting was people gave lots of good reasons, good answers, and there are there's not just one answer. There are many, many good answers we can give. And people give lots of good answers from the Bible. But nobody ever gave the answer, which is the most obvious answer from probably the most famous mission passage in the Bible. The one that maybe we're the most familiar with, the Great Commission of Matthew 28. The Great Commission of Matthew 28, we've already read, but I'll just read again, because we're going to think a bit more about this one. Jesus says to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So you can see this passage already very clearly gives a why. You can see that by the therefore. You've probably heard a thousand times when you see a therefore in the Bible, or any book for that matter, you should see what it's there for. It's a linking word, A, therefore, B. And there's a very important therefore in this passage, which gives us the why of mission according to this passage. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Etc. Et Most of the time when I hear people quote this passage, they start with the go and make disciples of all nations and kind of leave out that first part. But the second part doesn't make much sense without the first part. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus, therefore go and make disciples. So often people give reasons, like I said, good reasons based on us. People are lost, people are broken, people are sinful. That's all true and that's all good reasons for mission. But in this passage, the fundamental reason for mission is not based in us, but in Jesus and who he is. 
that he has all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, we do mission. He's Lord over all. Therefore, we do mission. And then what do we teach? We teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. Now, does Jesus say, and teaching them to consider and contemplate everything that I've commanded you? No. Now, we can get all bogged down in the, in the like, yeah, oh, we, we want to study the Bible because we want to study it and so we're going to analyse it and, and we might want to consider it and meditate it and contemplate it and all of which are great things. They're all good things. But if that doesn't end in actually trusting and obeying, it's just a useless exercise. In fact, it's a self-deceptive exercise. You think, ah, see, we meditated, we thought about it, we studied it, we got the right answers for the Bible study, tick. No, if it doesn't actually lead to trusting and obeying, what was the point of that? No, Jesus says, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Does Jesus say, teaching them to obey some of the things that I've commanded you? No. But some people, I'm not accusing people here of this, um, but I, you, you'll be familiar that some people will be like that. Maybe you are in your heart. You, you're the one that knows your heart. I don't. I'm not accusing anybody. But you think about it yourself. You know, that we, might, we might deep down in the heart go, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus Lord. But, oh, yeah, really like what he teaches about, say, uh, money. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Uh, not so keen on what he teaches about anger or, or sexual ethics or forgiveness or... Or the other way around. Uh, yeah, yeah, like where, you know, oh, don't, don't like what he really teaches about money. Yeah, sexual ethics and forgiveness, yeah, that's good. But money, oh, that gets too close to home. So we just want to kind of take some of it and, and obey some of it. No, Jesus says, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Or does Jesus say, teaching them to obey everything that I've suggested to you? Now, of course, this is a common one among unbelievers. Among unbelievers, you, you might often hear, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus, yeah, yeah, they don't want to reject him altogether. Yeah, he, he was a good teacher, maybe, he did some good things, you know, a bit of, bit of wisdom to provide that we can just kind of consider to follow some of, maybe, some good suggestions. Which, of course, they want to do to then just lower Jesus' authority. He's not just a sage, he's not just a wise teacher to just give some good suggestions for life. No, he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And what does he do with that authority? He, among other things, he commands. He makes commands. And what we are to do is to go and teach everyone to obey everything that he has commanded. But of course, a big important question after that was, how do we know then? I mean, Jesus isn't with us today. How, how do we even know what he has commanded? And of course, he, we know the answer to that because he had his disciples who heard him and then wrote down. And so we have today, we have in the New Testament, we have in the Bible what he has commanded. So I just want to look very briefly at another passage that is important in relating to this uh, one we were just looking at in Matthew 28. Very famous passage on the Bible where Paul is writing to Timothy and he says to him, And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, 
so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I love this passage. Uh, it's got so much condensed in it, we could do a whole sermon just on this. But just very briefly, quickly, first of all, of course, it talks about the nature of the Bible. It's God breathed, it's God's word. But then it also talks, very, speaking very broadly, about two purposes. The first one, to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And I just wanted to point that out because this morning, obviously, I'm talking a fair bit about obedience. That's what Matthew 28 says, teaching them to obey. Of course, I don't want people to ever think that what I'm saying is that we are saved by our obedience. Here, it very clearly says that we people can learn wisdom for salvation through faith. Faith in Christ. It's by faith. It's by grace. It's not by obedience. But think about this. Probably the most famous book in the Bible to talk about it's by faith, not works. It's by faith and grace, not, not our works and our obedience. The most famous book for that is, of course, Romans. Another big famous one, Galatians. Romans, a whole big exposition of that. But you know how Romans starts? You read the introduction to Romans, the first few verses. The first few verses to Romans, Paul says that this gospel is to go out to the nations to call the people to the obedience that comes from faith. That's the beginning of Romans. To the obedience that comes from faith. And then we see that some in the next part. So the second part of the scriptures... Remember, what we are to do is we are to teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. And what does Paul say here the scriptures are for? For teaching. The scriptures are there for teaching, for uh, rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. So we have this to help us as well, to fulfill Christ's commission of going and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. Well, I asked before... What consumerism, I started with talking about consumerism and asked, like, well, what's that got to do with discipleship and mission? Okay, now we're going to think a bit more about that. Well, what factors do we consider in consumerism? When we're consuming products, what factors do we consider? Well, we, we choose a product that's, that's best for us, that we, we like the best. It could be what makes us the most happy. It could be what's the best value. It could be what gives us the most pleasure or the most security, or the most comfort. And again, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that when we're buying something. We don't want to buy something the second best. But this consumerism can severely impact the church. Well, how can it impact the church? Well, since coming to Australia, I've seen more and more this consumerist spirituality, a consumerism in spirituality. And it can creep into the church and at least some aspects of the church. And I want us to consider a contrast between a consumer and a disciple. They're two very different things. So we're going to look at a few different uh, aspects of a difference between a consumer and a disciple. So the first one relates to our approach to Jesus and the Bible. A consumer just may want to use it. May want to just use the Bible. Use Jesus. So lots of people can use the Bible. You know, oh, I've just had a tough day. You know, the Bible is just good to help me get through the day. Um, false teachers, they, they can use the Bible. Heretics can use the Bible. And again, there's nothing wrong with, with using it. There's nothing wrong with the Bible helping us get through the day. But a disciple doesn't just use it for that. A disciple will listen to it to seek, to trust and obey. Our next one we have here is a consumer. Like I said, consumers, as a consumer, you can just choose. You can choose the products you like, choose the ones you like. 
And this is a common thing today with the approach to the Bible. We'll just pick and choose the parts that we like. I like the part that talks about, you know, God's love for me. It makes me feel so good and nice and warm and special and I'm, I'm just so valued and God loves me. I love that part. I don't really like the part about, you know, God's judgment against sin and telling us what to do and that I can't do that and God's wrath against sin. No, I don't like that, so maybe not that part, you know. Like what it says about this, uh, not about gender or whatever. No, 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 no. So just pick and choose the parts that we like. That's the consumer approach. A disciple approach doesn't argue with God, doesn't think that they know better than God. They will seek to believe it all and trust and obey it all. Again, it doesn't mean that we succeed always. I'm not saying that you, know, you have to be perfect to be a disciple. We don't succeed. But I'm talking about our, our attitude a consumer attitude, a consumerist attitude and spirituality as opposed to a disciple attitude and spirituality. Third one. It's a bit like it's a bit similar to the first one I was just mentioned. Some people will just like to use the Bible as a pick me up. It's a bit like, you know, having some, a coffee every, you know, oh we've got the coffee as a pick me up for the day to help me get through the day. And the Bible can just be a pick me up. Okay, and sometimes we might see that in um, you know, it's great to have inspirational verses around, you know, around in uh, on our walls. How often do we see uh, verses on the walls that tell us to repent or tell us about God's judgment coming or whatever? <laughs> no, people just like the nice positive sounding ones. One something that just picks me up. <clears throat> Again, the Bible does pick us up. But a disciple does more than just that. A disciple, again, will seek to trust and obey. Next one. Again, use. Think about this topic where I said Jesus' authority. Consumers could just seek to just use Jesus' authority. I've literally heard talks on Jesus' authority where people have given talks on Jesus' authority and said, Jesus has all authority. Therefore, what do you want? You want that? Claim it in Jesus' authority. Jesus is ruler over all. Jesus has authority. Name it and claim it. And the entire talk just on that. And when I heard the talks like that more than once, I thought, this just reminds me of Simon in the book of Acts. But what's the application in Matthew 28? Does Jesus say, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and tell all people that they can use my authority to get whatever they want? No. So all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and teach them to submit to that authority. Follow that authority. Obey everything that I've commanded. Next one. Okay. So this is starting to lead into the whole me. So in the part of this whole consumer spirituality, it can be related to this whole me-centred. You've probably heard it before. We're living in a very me-centred culture. And that can come through in so many ways. It can come through in how we read the Bible you know, and just other books. So often people might read just all about me. It's all about me. How does it make me feel? I know, what is it, what's the impact on me? What's it like for me? What do I think it means? Etc. Etc. And of course, again, the Bible does speak to me and it should impact me. But a disciple approach transcends just me. And a disciple approach, therefore, will come to Scripture and will say, okay, well, what, what, what was the author meaning and doing? And what's God doing through the author? What was he doing originally? And then from that then come to eventually me and then what it has to say to me in teaching me to trust and obey. Next one also comes to church. A consumerist approach to church just asks the question, and I've heard lots of people talking about this, the consumer approach to church. Well, did I like it? And this is part of the reason why there can be lots of church hopping. Oh, I didn't like it. Oh, I liked that one. Like, and just thinking about whether they liked it. 
Again, which then centres on me. Did I like it? Did I like the church? Did it make me feel good? Did it help me in my life, etc.? Whereas the disciple approach is actually more asking the question, did God like it? Did God like the service? Is God happy with what's going on? If you actually, when you stop and think about it, you see this in Scripture so much. Think of the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation. Jesus again and again is revealing whether he liked it or not. Okay, and often it was the exact opposite of what they thought. Jesus' assessment of the church was often the exact opposite of their own assessment of themselves. Jesus says to one church, you think you're rich, you're poor. To another church, you think you're poor, you're rich. To another church, you think you're alive, you're dead. So the issue was really whether God liked what God thought of it. This was the issue for Israel in the Old Testament again and again. See, they thought they were, they were happy with it. They were happy with their rituals. They were happy with what they were doing. But God sent prophets that came along and said, I don't. I don't like it. What you're doing is a stench in my nostrils and judgment was going to come. So a disciple approach, and I'm not saying that that's what he's going to say to us, but I'm just saying the whole attitude should not just be on me, a consumer is on me, but then we think, well, what does God think of this? Does God like it? And then related to that, next one, same, same with the sermon. You could just ask, did I like it? Did it help me? Did it pick me up? And again, they're not necessarily completely wrong questions. Not necessarily completely, we should like it, it should help us, it should you know, inspire us, etc., whatever. But a more fundamental question for a disciple is, well, did God like it? Did it elevate the true Jesus? Or, or, or was they, were they just using the Bible to just say what people wanted to hear? Okay? Which, of course, the New Testament warns. In the final days, people will gather a lot of teachers that just say what people's itching ears want to hear. Okay, next one. <clears throat> so a consumer would then just want to create the product of Jesus that they like as was, has been said before, like a plastic Jesus. This is the Jesus I like. That's the one I want to follow. A disciple picks up the cross, as Jesus commanded us to do. Next one, we have um, consumer. Again, me-centred life is about what I want, and I just get Jesus to fit into that. Whereas disciple, life is what that Jesus wants, and then I follow into that. And then the last one, and this is a big one which I'm seeing, not here, I'm not accusing you, but I have seen, I have seen in some, uh, some branches of Christianity, I've seen very much here, a both-and mentality. Oh, they're on about Jesus. Yeah, we're excited about Jesus. We want Jesus, 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 Jesus. And everything the world has to offer as well. Both-and. But I think the New Testament is extremely clear. It's either or. Jesus said black and white. You cannot serve both God and money. It's either or. James, which we just finished, says very clearly, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? It's, it's very clear. It's either or. Again, you know, God made us physical beings. We can enjoy the things that he created, but we have to make a choice. It's either Jesus or the world. Now, um, I don't want... You I don't want you to think that this is then all very negative. See, this is actually very positive. Because at the end of the day, all this stuff on the left is talking about where it's me-centred and I'm ruler of my life. But of course, we're terrible rulers of our own lives. Jesus is a much better ruler. See, it's the great paradox that Jesus taught, that by dying, we live. By denying ourselves, we're saved. So this one on the right 
It's not a negative, it's a positive. It's the best life. Now, I was informed, of course, that this month, in Expecting the Unexpected, we're looking at considering our personal involvement in mission and consider different ways that we can be involved in Christ's mission. So how does what I've just, all everything I just said there, how does that relate to that big theme of how we can be involved in mission? Well, firstly, I want, us to, I want to point out that what I've said, just said, expands how our involvement in Christ's mission should look. Because when we think of mission, often people just think of, oh, mission, outreach to unbelievers. And of course, that's true, and it's an indispensable part of mission. Mission does include outreach to unbelievers, proclaiming the gospel so that they can be saved. But often people just think of that. But mission is more than just outreach to unbelievers. Look at the passage we just said, the Great Commission. It was about making disciples. Christ's mission is not just about getting converts. Christ's mission is about making disciples. Of course, they first have to hear the gospel and believe it to be a disciple and accept Jesus. But it's ongoing with the discipling and discipleship. And so mission is not just out there. Mission is in here as well. It's both and. Not either or. I'm not saying, okay, just here and then forget out there. Both and. <clears throat> mission, our involvement in mission is what we do out there and going out to the world and it's what we do here as well. Because isn't this, like we had a theme here, of course, in church about discipleship and isn't that what we're doing here? Discipling one another, encouraging one another, teaching one another, maybe sometimes rebuking one another, hopefully, if necessary. That's all part of the mission. So it's both out there and in here. I remember once, uh, many years ago, with one church we visited, uh, after the church service, after talking to people and leaving and going to go out the back door where you go out of the church, and there was a sign above the door that said, you are now entering the mission field. And in some ways I really liked that sign, in some ways I didn't like it at all. Sometimes I really liked it because, you know, it's, it's reminding us, you know, don't just have your Christianity just on Sunday and just have your little holy club on Sunday and just be nice and safe there and then walk out for the rest of the week and like as if you can just forget Christ and not bother about serving him and reaching out for people out there. No, when you go out for the whole week, go out, serve him, reach out to people. So it's giving people that mentality. For that, say, fantastic, love the sign, great, let's have that sign. In another way, I didn't like the sign. Because what's it implying? Oh, out there, you're now entering the mission field. Well, what's it saying about in here then? Isn't in here also kind of like a mission field? In the sense that this is mission and here we are, we're still training to be disciples, learning to be disciples, teaching one another, exhorting one another to follow everything that he has commanded. So it's in here as well. So... The theme was expected the unexpected. And I was asked, well, what, what can we expect? I said the unexpected. So maybe that may be right now. Because when thinking about mission, you may have just been thinking about reaching out to the lost. You may not have expected to think that it considers in here as well. 
That it's not just to get converts, but to make disciples, broadening our understanding. So last week, Des correctly pointed out that mission, you know, missions, you, you don't have to you know, get on a plane to go overseas to be a missionary. Okay? You don't think that, oh, it's just the missionaries who go overseas, they're the ones involved in mission. He was correctly pointing out, mission is global, meaning, yes, it's over there, but it's here as well, in our own local, that we're all involved in the mission uh, in, this, in our own local area. And it's a point often made, it's a very good point, it's a very true point. But I just want to expand on that even further. It's not only just here local, as opposed to over there, it's also in here, as well as out there. So it's going one step further. But when we understand, you see, therefore, his mission is making disciples, it expands us, it broadens us, to help us realise how important what we do in here is for, as well. We shouldn't think for a second that, oh, well, we're already Christians, you see. I'm already saved, so we don't have to worry about this whole mission of then being a disciple and making disciples here. No, it's an ongoing process till we die. And I just want to point out that this is a crucial thing as well to help with the mission out there. Mission in here is vital for the mission out there. Why? Well, thinking about this whole idea of product. Okay, remember... Remember, um, you know, I was using the word product, consumerism, you know, they talk about products and there's marketing. I remember hearing a true story about an evangelist, I think in Australia, could have been in America. Um, anyway, an evangelist, he was sharing at a pub, he was sharing about Jesus and this unbeliever said back to him, you know what your problems are, Christians? Christians, you know what your problem is? You have a great product, meaning Jesus, but you have terrible marketing, meaning the church. Great product, terrible marketing. And part of the reason for he said that is you've all would have heard it a thousand times. They will say the church is full of? Hypocrites. You could all finish it. Hypocrites. Now, how justified that accusation is, you know, it's debatable. There's at least some truth to it. Um, but I always say back to that, you know, if people say that to me, I can just say back, oh, well, then, you know, join in. You'll fit right in. Um, <coughs> think about it. <laughs> That goes down really well. <laughs> but, um, but you can see that mission out there is affected by mission in here. If we don't fulfill the mission in here, if we're not living as disciples in here, it's so much harder for the mission out there in getting them to accept Jesus. So as it's, uh, as it's uh, been mentioned this, uh, this month, we're looking at how you can be involved in mission. I'm not going to go into all kinds of different ways now. Of course, I've expanded that your involvement in mission includes what you do in church as well, in your home groups and here. It includes that as well. But don't use that as a, as a justification to say, oh, tick, I've done my mission part. I don't have to worry about out there. That's not what I mean. Please do not have that as your takeaway. Like I said, it's both and. It's both and. You can be involved in, in all kinds of different ways. It's been suggested you could join in with non-Christians, what they do. You might join in a, missionary, in, a, in a mission that reaches out to unbelievers like Sham or whatever, or you might start a new thing. So many different ways. But I just want to finish now with just another point about this whole consumer and what I mentioned before about people. One of the things we want to consume is comfort. So what I've just said about missions also in here Please don't use that as an excuse to say, stay in your own comfort zone. Because one of the things that I've noticed about our consumer culture is that we very highly value in Australia, we very highly value our comfort and our security. 
And in some ways, that's understandable. I mean, look at the picture we have of the new creation. There is security. In some ways, it's a perfectly understandable desire. But I firmly believe that one of the biggest hindrances to Christians in Australia fulfilling Christ's great commission is that we value our comfort and our security too highly. We don't want to be taken out of our comfort zone. We don't like the unexpected. But truly being a disciple of Jesus will take us out of our comfort zone. So when the rubber hits the road, are we valuing our own comfort and security above obedience to Christ? And if so, then a lot of the suggestions that we give won't amount to much if we're not willing to go out of that comfort zone. So if that's the case, then the first step, rather, will be to stop, pray, and repent about our skewed consumer mentality and then place Christ truly above all because he is Lord over all and he is worth it. Amen.